Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Santa H., and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater for today. Today is Monday, November 9th, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page four, the first paragraph, beginning with abruptly in October 1929. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Judy S., the 12 Traditions, Janice B., and reading the literature for today are Karen S., Du L., and Sylvia F. The share ID for Sunday, November 8th, our special edition meeting, the speaker was Julie R., titled Living in a Solution, Step 10, 11, and 12, is 8183. 8183. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA Fifth Tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Judy S. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. I'm Judy S. from upstate New York, a recovered compulsive overeater. One. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. 
sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Judy S. I will now ask Janice B. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, family. This is Janice B. in Vermont, compulsive overeater. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. These problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Janice B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. We are on page 4, paragraph 1B. 
beginning with Abruptly in 1929. We'll be reading through two paragraphs ending with This Time He Stayed Broke, and we will focus our shares on the second paragraph. I will now ask Karen H., Karen S., to begin reading. Good morning, Santa. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Um, This is Karen S. in Michigan, grateful, recovering, compulsive overeater. Abruptly, in October 1929, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel bar to a brokerage office. It was 8 o'clock, five hours after the market closed. The ticker still clattered. I was staring at an inch of the tape which bore the inscription XYZ minus 32. It had been 52 that morning. I was finished, and so were many friends. The papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance. That disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several million since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba. No St. Helena for me. But drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. This time, we stayed broke. Well, I had to look up this fellow, Napoleon, um, my history not being uh, what it ought to be, I guess. Um, Napoleon had risen to power in France in the early, um, late 1700s and early 1800s, and and through a coup, he had um, declared himself emperor of France and then um, went off to various wars. Well, he got himself into um, trouble and was exiled first to Elba, um, from which he managed to escape, went back to France, um, took on the campaign to be the emperor again, um, and then had another um, disaster and was finally exiled to the island of St. Helena, and that, that's where he died. So it's interesting to me that Bill is referring to Napoleon and comparing himself um, with Napoleon just a tad grandiose and I think he probably, um, I'm sure he saw that um, years later as he wrote these um, these things about himself. Um, and this time we stayed broke. Certainly reminds all of us and me particularly of the history I have of, um, of uh, dieting and gaining and gaining and dieting and trying a new diet club and then a new pay-to-go. Um, diet, service, and all kinds of things finally coming into OA four years ago, <clears throat> but not really reaching my um, my St. Helena or my um, my final battle, Waterloo, I think was Napoleon's final battle, um, until about um, nine months ago when I had been abstinent for mm, I don't, maybe a couple of weeks, thought I was really doing well. Um, and just found myself, just, just discovered myself with food in my mouth that I had no intention of picking up. Um, called my sponsor in tears, um, said, 
I don't know what to do. And um, that was really my surrender. Um, and then she said, oh, <laughs> I think she probably said mentally, thank goodness, and finally, um, and gave me a food plan. And I had begun listening to a vision in November of the year before. So um, really caught the fire, I think, that January day and um, have been abstinent ever since. So I thank God for Overeaters Anonymous. I thank God for Bill W. and um, for this opportunity to to uh, be of service and set a test. Thanks. Thank you, Karen. Christina. Charles. Just one moment. Tina S. from Florida. Kim G. Okay, we're going to redo this again. You guys are on fire this morning. I have Charles H. And I'm apologize, I got him on order. I know I heard Kim G. And Mary, Mary, K. Mary K. Mm-hmm. Tina S. from Florida. Tina S. Chrissy M. from New Jersey. Hi, son. Chrissy M. Good morning, Chrissy. Okay, I have Charles H., Kim G., Mary K., Tina S., Chrissy M. Thank you very much. Charles, you're up. Good morning. Good morning, son. The Charles Age of Recover Visionary. Y'all know that my famous line already. I'm on the bus, but God told me to speak this morning. And, you know, you, it, it, part of the reading caught my ears when it said I wobble. I could just identify in with wobbling all over the place and remembering, um, identifying when, you know, this time we stay broke. Even though with that next Monday mentality, I, I just, God told me to speak this morning because I remember wobbling. I could identify in. And I could identify in with this time staying broke. But oh, but I wouldn't jump, though. I would not jump. But because next Monday was coming, right? And I would try again. Back, back and forth. Back and forth. Yo-yo, yo-yo. Right? And I, I just want to identify in with, you know, um, just never never giving up, no matter what. You know, um, never giving up. Because how many know that higher power could turn it around with one second left in the fourth quarter. I just want to share something with you, you know, from my identification um, point of view. You know, a few years ago, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave my couch. Now, and I'm not bragging, I'm just showing how, how, how a trust in it, my, my belief is grounded in a power grade in myself. Miracles happen. This whole weekend, four times I played basketball, average three hours. You know, Saturday I lost terribly every game. I was scoring, but I lost. I came back with a fierce determination at the church yesterday that I'm going to get some wins. However, ego and pride got the best of me when this guy picked us up that he's not really that good. He picked me and my grandson up, and I, I said to my grandson, why are you passing him the ball? He can't play. I just armed him in front of the The whole park was packed and was lit, and after the game, I, I, you know, he was, you know, of course he was upset. And, you know, the, my turf, they love me. Right, and I love them. And I was like, you know what? I, I really apologize. It, it took a lot of pride to say that. I said, I apologize, bro. The fierce determination. I would come back, but I have to admit I was wrong. In my mind, I was like, man, I gotta admit all this stuff in a ten step. So of course, it took me an hour to get that ten step out. Enough said. I love you guys. I'm gonna show that thing. Thank you, Charles H. Good morning, Kim G. 
Good morning, Santa. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. But drinking caught up with me again, and my generous friend had to let me go. You know, this is the power, once again, of a person who is recovered who's telling their story. Because I am sure that if Bill was telling his story while he was still in the drink, he would not have described him as a generous friend. He probably would have described him as a rotten SOB that had the audacity to fire the brilliant Bill Wilson. You know, and that's why it's so important for us to have recovered people that can help us see perspective. You know, I think to myself of when I see this progression of me always saying, well, I'm, I'm going to get back on track. I'm going to try that next diet. Monday it's going to start again, getting back on track. And if I look at what I talked about in my 20s, when I talked about getting back on track and in the food when I was not in Overeaters Anonymous or when I was in Overeaters Anonymous and relapse, what I would talk about is the people who sabotaged me and that work was too tough and I didn't have enough money for these diet programs that everybody else had diet money for and, and the world was out to get me and I had a life. If you had my life, you would eat too, damn it. And that was my attitude when I would go into meetings and relapse and share. But as a recovered person, when I look back at that time and I see what's going on in my 20s, I can see the progression of the illness. I can see the, the angst when I got to the point where I couldn't diet anymore. Why? Because if I lost 10 pounds and I took that first bite, the spring back would be 20 pounds. If I lost 20, the spring back would be 30. I could see how it didn't matter if I was abstaining from X because I would eat Y in such large quantities because I'm chasing that effect. But I can't tell that when I'm in the food. You know, that's the power of a meeting of recovered people versus the meeting that has everyone in relapse who loves each other immensely and is just trying to give each other support. You know, in the 1970s, a common saying was, all you need to start a meeting is a resentment and a coffee pot. And believe me, if all I needed was people who understood me, who were in the food like I was in the food, I don't need Overeaters Anonymous. I sat in all-you-can-eat buffets many times with my binge buddies discussing the horrors of being a compulsive overeater. So I just want to get on my soapbox for a second because I often get phone calls from people. I want to start a Vision for You meeting. I'm going to start one in my town. And I ask if they're abstinent. Well, no, but this is how I'm going to get abstinent. The best thing you can do for Overeaters Anonymous and for anyone in your town is to recover, 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 and then carry this message once you're recovered. A Vision for You is not magical but it is a group of recovered people who can tell their story the way Bill is telling it so that people know there's hope. There's hope. Because I will end with this. One of the tragic things in my life was breaking my ankle five years ago, and it was tragic. But as a recovered woman, I realize now that was the catalyst that got me sober and got me recovered, and I thank every day for that, that, that event of my ankle breaking. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And good morning to you, Mary Kay. Well, good morning, everyone on the line. I'm Mary Kay, a recovered. I'm going to say that today, compulsive overeater from upstate New York, from the lessons I'm learning in vision and from these books, The um, because I have been abstinent since early June. I didn't think I could say I was recovered yet because I haven't got to my goal weight, but it's not about the weight. It's about living in abstinence and putting the food down, and I thank you for these rooms for these lessons. On the paragraph today, I also am awed by God and his timing and the wisdom that he gives to us. Um, 
just, I, I'm going to focus on the line, I, le- I felt like Napoleon returning from Elba, no St. Helen- Helena for me. Just last Thursday, for the first time, I attended a lunchtime faculty forum and the guest speaker talked about his trip to St. Helena to see where Napoleon was exiled to and where he died. So I have fresh pictures and you need to, I want to help you understand what it was like there and and why they chose to exile him here. This is not a beautiful island. It's in the trade wind areas of the South Atlantic Sea. It's a small island. Only about 4,000 people live there. Um, there are no beaches there. It's sheet rock. It's actually made out of a volcano. So they exiled this man so full of himself and his ego there to to control him until he died. And, and then he was all full of himself there. And how full of myself I have been when I'm in the food and how joyous my life turns to be when I give it to God every day and give it to the, the hope and, and 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 service that that I can do for him and his work and word every day. And and that's the message. And I've only been in these rooms. Um I I've just found this I've shared this before. I didn't even know about the 12 steps and never was introduced to the Overeaters Anonymous rooms um, until I just started in early June. And um, I'm just very grateful to be on this walk. And I just wanted some of you to see the, the picture of that remote place and and the and how amazing this, this program can be because when we put our egos down and we put ourselves down and we listen to God or our, the, the God of our understanding, Understanding, the um, we do get recovered, and we can say those words. And these are the first time today I've spoken as recovered. I said recovery before, and I'm so grateful to be here. And I thank you all, and have a wonderful, wonderful, blessed day. I pass. Thank you, Mary Kay, and good morning, Tina S. Good morning, Sasha. Thanks for your service. Uh, some great stuff in this Bill uh, story. Uh, what came to mind for me, and, and it really has nothing to do with money, but I guess the price for me back in, when I first came to OA in 1987, I went to treatment in Florida from uh, Pennsylvania. And, um, and it says where he had plenty of money left and thought I'd better go to Canada. Uh, by the following spring, we were living in, a, in our custom style. You know, it was like I got the diet from treatment, you know. So I went home and I moved to Florida because this is where it was going to happen, you know. And, and I was always in relationships where people took care of me. My money was mine and your money was ours. And, um, you know, by the time I, I moved to Florida, you know, I never, you know, I didn't get that, okay, you know, maybe you ought to go to OA and I'm off in another program. Maybe you ought to go to AA. What I got was the diet, you know, and so the diet was, did well. But what I also got in treatment was, okay, at this time I went in as a compulsive eater, come out as an anorexic. And I had some tools that I learned there that was not the uh, OA and the 12 steps, but was how to lose more weight. And, uh, you know, and so what happened for me was that drinking caught up with me again. And my generous friend had let me go. The relationships I was in, had, they were like, okay, see ya. Because, you know, it was all about me when I was in the disease. I wasn't thinking about nobody else. And what happened for me is I did move to Florida, and I am from Florida. But eventually, you know, I uh, came in in 87. My absence date is uh, 99. Uh, so over the years, things got pretty bad, and, you know, I'm grateful today that, you know, one day at a time, there's no need for me to pick up food. 
if I continue to work 12 sets with Alcoholics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous and with a power greater myself, I stay abstinent. Thank you all for such a great meeting, and I pass. Thank you, Tina S., and good morning, Chrissy M. Chrissy, if you're speaking, we don't hear you. How about now? Yes. Okay. Hi, good morning. I'm Chrissy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. And I'm grateful to my higher power for keeping me abstinent today. And I this is this whole tone of this passage illustrates exactly what the disease is for me. The opposite of the surrender that needed to happen for me in order for me to even begin on the road to being recovered. It's that fierce determination that I thought was my biggest asset. It it turned out really to be a huge liability when it came to this disease because this isn't something I could win this isn't this isn't a battle that I can win, and I love that that's my first my first lesson in letting go and letting letting God come in and heal me is having to get down to the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of all of my good ideas and to say I'm out of ideas. And that's what surrender looks like for anybody who's struggling and wondering why this thing isn't working for them or why it's, it is such a struggle. It's because we, I needed to get to a place where I stopped having that fierce determination to win. I was all of my my scorecards read zero and I was out I was out for the count. That's that's what needs to happen and it doesn't it doesn't have to be that bad of a beating. And it says it in the first step of the twelve and twelve. We could we could really choose to get off on any floor. We could learn from people who came before us and see the progression of their disease and say, oh, if I continue to do this, this is what's going to happen because I'm just like this person. And and it's a decision to want to believe and to surrender. And surrender means giving up my ideas for ideas of someone else. So I'm really grateful for that awareness today. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you, Chrissy M. And who else would like to share on this? Rakesha. Paula D. Paula D. Gail T. Gail T. Reva P. Reva P. Oh, you all are on fire this morning, just like I am. Good morning, Rakesha Z. We're up. AJM. I'm sorry, Rakesha. Anyone else? Our last call for this paragraph. Okay, Rakesha, you're up. Good morning to you. Good morning, Santa, and thank you for your service. So I identify in with Bill in this paragraph because I see him chasing his tail. 
And that's what I did my whole life, chase my tail, trying to find something that was going to work. He's doing another geographic here. He went, he goes to Canada. That's going to fix it. You know, first he went to the country to overtake Walter Hagen and become a great golf player, and that didn't work, so he goes back to New York and now, or where he's from. And then um, he, now he's going to Canada. That's going to fix him, but it doesn't. And I did that over and over again. The geographics I tried, you know, it was always... I was going to try different meetings, thinking I'm going to hear something different in these other meetings. These are stronger meetings. I'm going to get absent if I go to these stronger meetings. And then, oh, I'm going to get a stronger sponsor. That's the ticket. That's what I need to do. That's going to fix me, getting a stronger sponsor. Or I'm going to call so-and-so instead of the other people that I was calling, because that's going to get me absent. You know, chasing my tail, chasing my tail, trying to find that formula, finding something that I can tweak that's going to work. And then he comes back, and for five years, he's floundering. And that's because he's restless, irritable, and discontent. And that's me, too. When I'm eating, I am restless, irritable, and discontent all the time. And so it propels me to eat more and more and more and feel worse and worse about myself you know, get more and more depressed, get more and more mean to other people. It just never ends. The restlessness, the irritability, the discontent, it goes on and on and on. So I really, really relate to Bill and his whole story, also this paragraph, that I'm chasing my tail looking for something that's going to fix me. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. And thank you, Rakesha D. Good morning, Paula D. And good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, good. I always ask. Good to be heard. And thank you for your service today. Much appreciated, Sancha. My name is Paula D. I am from New Hampshire currently and um, recovered by with the grace of God. You know, I was just thinking, this is Bill's story. We all have our own story, but this is Bill's. And I want to just back up just for a moment, put it in reverse. As I drank, the old fierce determination to win came back. And how does that start? Tomorrow was another day. Well, can't we come along here? Can't we come along here? You know, we can never, and this is what I love about Bill, you can identify with. And I can so easily. Next morning, oh, yeah, sometimes it's a Monday. And then after a while, it didn't matter if it was a Monday. Sometimes it was a Wednesday. But it was always the next morning. And what did he do? He telephoned a friend in Montreal. Yeah, looking for an answer. And this is what he found. He had plenty of money left. Ooh, okay, I'm going along with this one. I thought I had better go to Canada. There you go. Uproot everything and go off to Canada. Now, doesn't that sound like the normal thing to do? Does it? But I want to go on here because here, even here, I can identify. By the following spring, we were living in our custom style. Yeah, there we go. Up and down, down again, up again. I felt like Napoleon. <laughs> Napoleon was the shortest emperor in history. Not in his head. Not in his head. No, it's Bill. Here we have a man, and he started drinking, remember? As I drank, that line we just read, and it caught up with it again, but it never left him. 
It never left him. But in his head, he was a giant. And there again, a huge ego like Napoleon. And look at how he identifies with them. Returning from Elba. No St. Helena for me. Like Napoleon, but not in that area. That's what I did. Take this out, put that in. But drinking caught up with me again. It never left. It never left. This is why we use the terminology recovered. And my generous friend had to let me go. This time, this time we stayed broke. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula D. And good morning, Gail T. Good morning, everyone. This is Gail T. in Texas. Can you hear me okay? I certainly can. Okay, good. I I feel very different here in how I'm taking this this passage because I'm looking at Bill as a visionary and that when people thought he was nuts to go out uh, and and review companies and then report back, then they understood that what he talked about that at the beginning of his story. And then he got a lot of power because he had vision, he had foresight, and he knew how to look at it. And so going back to what he was about as a visionary and he could take a leap before anyone else could and then um, be successful at it often. Now, in my estimation, Bill doesn't even think he has a problem yet. And we're looking at it as he thinks he has a problem because we know, we know he has the problem, but he doesn't know it yet. But now that he's broke, the problem he's going to need to face into his problem. And and in a way, thank God there's a, a tomorrow because if we didn't have a tomorrow, we would have never surrendered and we would never have had this program come to it. So there's a, a sense of, we ourselves, I think, need a lot of determination. We we just didn't have the right track to go on. And and Bill found that track for us. Bill and Bob found that track and then set it down for us. And we were then able to learn how to surrender. And, and so he's on the, the process of that new journey of what to do about this problem. So I'm not really looking at him disgustingly at this point. I'm just looking at his inner journey, which I think is similar to all of ours before before we even recognized that we had a problem. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Gail T. And good morning, Reva P. Good morning, Santa. This is Reva P., recovered, grateful, compulsive overeater in Toronto. Um, what I identify with as we read this paragraph is that up until this paragraph, it seems to me that there's one paragraph where he's arrived and the next paragraph where he's got some disaster. And the next paragraph, he's got the fierce determination and he's figuring out a solution. And it's going paragraph by paragraph. But here within one paragraph, he's high and low and high and low. And that reminds me that as my disease progressed, um, the roller coaster just got more compacted and the binges got worse and the highs and the lows um, got more extreme and it was torture. 
The second thing that um, I identify with is this drinking. The imagery of something catching up with somebody gives me the image that he's running and driven by ego and fear and all kinds of um, what I now know to be my character defects. I was a driven person running, always running and running away, running to and um, it's amazing how the solution is the opposite. It's surrendering, giving up, and being still. And I can't hear, see, feel my higher power if I'm running. And I could be running physically by doing, 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 and being very busy. Um, or I can just be really busy in my head. And it's the stillness and stop, and to just stop be still, uh, be quiet, and that's where I find my higher power so I'm not driven by a hundred forms of Riva. Um, and yes, it is wonderful that he has the perspective as a recovered person because he's seeing it, and the way he's describing it, he can already see it. Um, with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Riva P. And good morning, AJM. This is AJM. I'm a compulsive overeater in North Carolina in recovery. One thing that really jumped out at me about this paragraph was it goes back and forth from the singular I to the plural we and our. And it reminded me of the um, one of the 15 questions of OA that I always listen to when I hear them in a meeting and I I listen to them hoping that I'm going to answer them all no <laughs> someday. Never going to happen. Um, one of those questions is, do my eating behaviors make me or others unhappy? And I have tended to think of my disease as mine, as something that affects only me. But that's not true. That is a lie I think I've been trying to convince myself of for many, many years. And Bill's drinking did not affect only Bill. Um, he does use the, the I, the singular, through most of his story. But the we and our crops in there. And I can't help thinking about Lois and what life must have been like for her. I mean, he took her on a motorcycle around the country. He took her camping out in the boondocks. He takes her now to Canada. And all the way through it is the thread of his drinking. And that was not plural. That was singular. You know, drinking caught up with me again. My generous friend had to let me go. But then it ends with this time, we stayed broke. So again, it makes me think about the effects of my, uh, of my disease on my family, certainly, certainly on my spouse, but on my family, and uh, the times that I have isolated from everyone, family and friends, so that I could eat. And... Um, this paragraph just really emphasized that for me 
that Bill's drinking was absolutely at this point a family problem, as it always is. Uh, thank you for your service, Santa, and with that, I will pass. And thank you, AJM. And thank you for everyone for staying within the three minutes. Uh, we're going to move on now. We are on page four, and we are going to be reading now in the last paragraph on that page that begins with, we want to live. And I will now ask Duell to read that one paragraph. Thank you. This is Duell, Recover Compulsive Overeater. I went to live in my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as a result of a brawl with a taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became unwelcome hangover at the brokerage places. Wow, and I, I think everybody already spoke about this, you know, about, uh, by the way, <laughs> I'm due L. Recover compulsive overeater from New York, and grateful to be here. Um, and and as I was saying, I I think everyone uh, already spoke about this um, to a degree, about the fact that when I go into my disease, um, you know, I have uh, the the first step is we admit it we're powerless, we have no control over our foods or alcohol, right, and that our life becomes manageable as a result of my binging as a result of in in bill's case of his drinking and you could see that you know i mean he lost his home and he had to go and bunk up with um <laughs> with his parents um uh, not only not, not his parents his wife's parents and then he found that you know that he couldn't hold the job um and it's interesting because he went to find a job at the country club and in less than 10 months, he was drunk because that's what he did. He got a job where, where he enabled his drinking. Um, and, and, then, um, and then he got into a brawl with a taxi driver on his way to the country club, on his way to the job. And, you know, and he lost the job before he even got it. So, and then he found himself unemployed for five years, hardly drawing a sober breath. That's what my disease does for me. Um, it's interesting because this, this story of Bill gives the story so that we can identify in and we could place ourselves in a position and look at his story, but also relate it to our story because that's why we share the story so that we can relate to one another and see how this disease in each and every one of our lives affects us and how our own unmanageability becomes um, um, very intense, right? Um, yesterday, I, I got the privilege of going and speaking at a meeting, and for the very first time, I was able to show my fat pictures, um, which I've, I've been in program for six years, never done that. And, um, <laughs> and I was horrified to look at these pictures because I looked at these pictures and I was double the size of what I am today. And when I was looking at the pictures, I saw all the stains on my clothes. And I mean, I look at pictures over pictures and I'm like looking at all the stains on my clothes. You know, that's the unmanageability that I get. And that was, 
and I was close to 300 pounds, close to it, not there yet, but close to it. But, you know, I, I, I got a text from someone, you know, that said, um, I have someone that's 617 pounds is dying from compulsive eating. Um, it's on a sep- it has a septic inf- in- infection and, you know, and it's on life support right now. And I thought to myself, that's the yes. That's the yes if I keep compulsively overeating. You know, I could be on a deathbed right now. But thank you for the saving program that shows me how to have a way out. But first I have to recognize that I'm powerless over my, my compulsive overeating and that my life has become unmanageable. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Duel. And who would like to comment on what was read for approximately three minutes? Rachel W. Leah. Rachel W. Sarah W. Leah. You said Leah? I heard Monica T. Did I hear Leah? Okay, this is who I have. I have Rachel W. Sarah W. Leah M. And I believe Aaliyah, Aaliyah, and Monica T. Anyone else? Judy S. Judy F. Okay, we'll get started. Good morning, Rachel W. Good morning, Santa. Thank you so much for your service. This is Rachel W. Recovered compulsive reader calling from New York. And um, focusing in on the sentence, mercifully, no one could guess that I was, I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly a sober breath. And to me, this is a reminder of what this disease does, of where I can go, where um, part of my disease is just wanting to get away with things. Because I, I could bet you money that there were plenty of people that probably could guess that, that he did not make a great employee or that he would, would not draw a sober breath. Uh, there, you know, and, but to live in a delusion where I think that, you know, as, as a five nine. I'm five nine, but you know, weighing 265 pounds. That you know, maybe nobody will notice how big I am, or maybe nobody will notice how much I'm eating, and you know, doing all these little tricks to see, you know, to, to you know, that nobody should really notice how much food I'm taking, and and but the whole concept of getting away with something and wanting to get away with, and and the delusion, you know, that that I think that I could possibly even know what's going on in anyone's head at all, you know, and and um, you know, I'm just just remembering that, you know, that the um, the delusion of that, and, and, and coming into this program, you know, it's, it's weakness, not strength that binds us. You know, it's, it's coming to an authenticity um, that is, you know, that is the polar opposite. You know, and in and, and so doing, um, it's, you know, what's required in that authenticity is a free fall into God's hands and saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't live like this person who, who just wants to get away with everything all the time. And and to have this system of, of, of leaning into these steps, and, and even more than that for me, having this fellowship that I could reach out to other people and, and just see, you know, I'll just have a check-in, you know, just where I am, um, because I, I, I do know that, that you know, God uh, does speak to me through other people, and, and, you know, the authenticity of this program has really opened me up to the unconditional love of God that I've, I've really learned to have for myself and other people. And, but to me, this is a a reminder of what could happen in my disease, and I, I do so appreciate, you know, being on, on this side of things that I could have this perspective today. Thank you for allowing me to share. 
And thank you, Rachel W. And good morning, Sarah W. Good morning, Santa. Thank you for your service this morning. Sarah W., very grateful, recovered, compulsive reader. By the grace of God, for sure. Um, I really, the thing I feel about the whole paragraph is it, it really extends into the idea that looking for outside forces to make me feel good, which is what I did all the time. Um, it, it's an inside job, and that's what I know today, uh, that, you know, I have to come to terms with who I am and um, and to surrender. Uh, and, and the shame I hear in him you know, he goes to live with his wife's parents. Um, you know, here's a guy that's talking about feeling like Napoleon, and now he's going to live with his wife's parents. I mean, the the um, the polar opposites of that is is insane. And you know, he's spiritually broke, uh, as as we have to become to to want the program badly enough to really want to change. And it talks about um, you know, here he, his wife comes home from working. You know, uh, it, it, you know, this is a very patriarchal society that we live in, especially during the time that he's talking about. And his wife is working to support him. And he's drunk when she gets home. And he sees himself in the last sentence, you know, I became an unwelcome hanger-oner at brokerage places. So, you know, he sees himself as really becoming like defective material. You know, nobody wants me. I'm not enough. You know, I, I feel like I'm totally worthless, and I can completely identify with that. And, you know, that's the grace of the program that we come so full circle with that. You know, we start to become confident in ourselves uh, as we work the steps. We start to see that we can fit in with the world, that we can connect with people, that we can have compassion for people. He doesn't feel that right now. You know, he's just in his own little world, uh, you know, uh, it, like I said, it's all about external. It's all about what he wants. There's no compassion for anybody, including himself. And I think really in essence, uh, you know, love and service is what our program is about. And, and that's what, by working our steps, we get find. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Sarah W. And good morning, Leah M. Good morning, Santa. Thank you so much for your service. Uh, mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. I mean, certainly, the disease is tightening the screws on Bill Wilson, and uh, it's very clear the progression and how he's bowing to the demands of his illness. And, you know, I absolutely relate to this progression. I mean, I like to say that my life was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. Um, and, you know, it was true for Bill, and it was true for me. It never gets better. It always gets worse. I mean, the noose is just tightening around uh, his neck, and, of course, it's affecting everybody around him. I mean, you know, he was used to living in a certain, you know, uh, style a few paragraphs ago, and now he's, uh, you know, on the couch at his in-laws. Um, he lost a job. He can't maintain employment. Uh, he's exhausted. The disease is wearing him out, and the disease is wearing everybody else out, too. I mean, that's what happens. And, you know, this illness 
of bills and the illness for me as a real compulsive overeater, there was not a facet of my life that the illness did not deteriorate. Um, you know, and I read it in Bill's story this morning. You know, socially, obviously, he's becoming a pariah. No one wants anything to do with him. His physical condition is worsening because the allergy of the body is demanding to be fed. You know, that the uh, craving for alcohol is, of course, at his heels day and night. He's become jittery. He's going to start to lose a lot of weight. Um, it's having an economic impact because he can't uh, be employed. No one wants him uh, as an employee and he can't show up because he's busy sucking on the bottle. Um, you know, his home is in shambles. He's living in his in-laws. Uh, his marriage is, uh, you know, deteriorating. Um, his values, yes, uh, you know, he's, he's a man of providing for his wife. He cannot do that right now. Uh, there's other issues going on in terms of his value system. Um, you know, emotional problems, of course, he's spiritually bankrupt. And I relate, 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 relate to all of the above because, again, every area of my life was deteriorating. Every area of my life, and the big book says it so well. You know, it's on page 21. It says, he often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself and then pulls the structure down on his head. And that's exactly what I did, and that's exactly, you know, certainly what I see Bill doing in this progression of the illness. It's going to keep getting worse until it gets better. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Okay, thank you, Leah. And Monica T., you'll be the last one to share. Um, in this meeting, and Judy F., please join us for the second hour, and you will be the first one up to share if you like. Good morning, Monica. Mm, good morning, Santa. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T., and I think Leah said pretty much everything that I wanted to say. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And um, so here, you know, Bill's story here, the progression of his illness, and I was just looking, you know, the, the, the just one page ahead. Uh, I mean, behind, we read, I had arrived. Drinking was taking an important and exhilarating part of my life. I had lots of fair feather friends, you know. I had a sumptuous apartment. And here, oh, my God, you know, how unmanageable here his life is. He has no job. He has no friends. You know, things aren't the best between him and Lois. And, oh, my God, he has no home. He's having to go live with his in-laws. You know, how humiliating was what I was thinking about here. How humiliating this should have been. You know, in a time where the man was the provider of the family and, um, you know, the little woman stayed home, what's happening here? His poor wife has to go out and get a job so they can have food. How humiliating. And then I thought, how many times was I humiliated? How did I also, you know, I lost friends because I isolated. Things weren't always so nice around the house when I was a bitch in the food. Um, you know, all, all these things. Now, um, anyway, so how unmanageable. How unmanageable. You know, Bill, who was on top of the heap, is at the bottom. And um, I guess I'm going to stop with that. Thank you very much. I pass. And thank you, Monica T. And thank you to everyone who has shared. And Judy S., 
have, please join us for the second hour. We certainly want to hear your share and anyone else who didn't get an opportunity to share in this first hour. Please join us for the second hour of the unrecorded hours of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. I will now ask Sylvia F. to, be, to please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Good morning, visionaries. This is Sylvia F. in upstate New York, a recovered compulsive overeater. Our, mo- our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I pass.